Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience Podcast with your hosts, Yasmina and Ari, who will be uncovering gems of wisdom with Jewish educators from around the world. Our guest today is Marie Rosenthal. To support our podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Jewish Education Experience Podcast. Hello, Maura Marie. Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. We look forward to getting to know you a little bit better. Will you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you began your journey in Jewish education? Sure, my pleasure. I define myself as a Jewish educator. And that comes and expresses itself in many different ways. I have been educating other people for about 30 years. In addition, my biggest educational project has been my own family, of which I'm blessed to have six children. And I view Jewish parenting is also Jewish education, definitely should be. So that is the first step. I began my journey many, many years ago. And I'd say that to get to where I am now, there were three different stages of my journey. My first stage was in my early college years when I was involved in Jewish informal education through Shabbatonim, many run by Yeshiva University towards day school programming, being a role model, putting Jewish programming together for high school students, as well as I took leadership roles in programs for Jewish public school students in the New York area where we brought live Judaism and Jewish education, hands-on Judaism, Shabbatonim, to kids that are in the public schools who are mostly from not such affiliated um, backgrounds. I also taught in proper Hebrew schools, formerly in classrooms in those years, and I continued to teach in classrooms in local schools in the New York City area local Jewish day schools and high schools, more traditional schools like Tanakh and Halakha and things like that. That was the first stage of my educational journey. The second stage occurred when my children were born and I was faced with choices of what to do with my time and childcare and my own career as a Jewish educator and, you know, trying to figure out how that's going to balance in, in our family. And my husband and I decided we would homeschool our children, which At that point, my children became my main educational project, and that entailed researching all different types of Jewish educational programs, things that I had not been exposed to before, Montessori programs, alternate programs, standard programs, Torah programs, and figuring out what I'm going to do for my own children, which became a journey of each child is their own person with their own way of thinking. And therefore I needed to continue to research and evolve my programs towards each of my children, obviously in the English studies, but specifically and with a strong heart towards their Jewish education, because we are forming young Jewish people. We are not just teaching them a concept. We are creating Jewish adults who will one day embrace their Judaism with love and and involvement. So that was a very heartfelt Jewish educational uh, journey that I was having in those years. Simultaneous to that, I always had my foot in the door of teaching other people's children as well. And throughout that whole time, I was always involved in teaching in the classroom, usually in religious schools, conservative 
temple schools. I was always involved in teaching different levels, starting with like Kita Bet, which is like second graders, all the way till the high school kids that no one really wants to teach at 4.30 in the afternoon on a Wednesday afternoon. Simultaneous to that, I also teach college classes. So I'm teaching brides about going to the mikveh and things related to Jewish intimacy. I also taught adult ed in the communities that I lived in just for adults of all different levels. And I also was involved in my husband's students and their education at the Manhattan Jewish Experience in Manhattan, which is caters to young professionals in Manhattan of varying Jewish backgrounds who are looking to learn more about their Judaism. So I did play an informal role with those students as well. So that I would call is my middle, my second journey for those years. Now I had finished those years. My youngest child went to school and I am currently in my third segment of Jewish educational journey. And that has two parts to it as well. I am involved in trying to figure out what can I do with my time as a Jewish educator? How can I do something important in line with what I really, with my goals? And my goals are to have that Jewish education should be customized, it should be time efficient, it should be cost efficient, and it should be inclusive that all Jewish students who are learning feel that they're learning something important into their personal growth. So with that in mind, I was looking for how am I going to express myself? What kinds of jobs should I get? My kids are out of the house. How can I contribute to the Jewish education that's going on around us with these goals in mind? And I've found now through the past uh, two or three years, two different venues. One is I'm working in a school, a formal school, like a real building, but I am working in a girls' school in New York where I'm in charge of the support for girls who need support in Ivrit or in Limude Kodesh. I train other teachers and I work with girls in one-on-one and small groups. This basically is in line with all my values because I'm customizing the education. I'm choosing what's most important. I'm seeing what makes them happy. I'm seeing what the deficiencies are. And the goal is what does this child need to learn to be a happy, educated Jewish child? And it's very customized. Um, So that is definitely a wonderful part of this new segment. And the last thing that I'm doing is I've started my own business, which is Marmory Homeschool and Consulting on Zoom in the pandemic, and it has remained, even though the pandemic is somewhat behind us. And in my Marmory Homeschool, I offer consulting to parents about their Jewish education plan for their children. And I also offer personal or small group classes in all kinds of Jewish education for students who do not have it in another venues. So some of my students are special needs students who are in public school because they cannot be mainstreamed in yeshiva. Some of my students are from not such traditional families who would not consider day school but want a strong day school education. Some of my students are from Shomer Shabbat families, but for whatever reason, whether personal or pandemic or financial, have chosen to put their kids in public school, yet they have a strong desire for a good, efficient, customized Jewish education. And that's what I've been doing. I've been teaching these students. I've been customizing to what people need. I've been thinking about what's most important for each child based on who they are, based on what their family wants for them, what their kind of family they're coming from. And I consult with families in general when they need help on this. 
Wow. I love the different phases that you've been through throughout your your career, your life. I have to agree, just as a, a parent, we have young children, as we kind of spoke a little bit before we started recording, that we as parents are really our children's first educators. The thing we love about homeschooling is that you we really can cater to our children's interests. And it's very hard to do that, I think, in the classroom. I think it can be done. I just, it's very hard. And what can you say was the highlight, I guess, of your homeschool journey with your children? There really is no highlight. You can't really say one highlight with a homeschool. It's like saying, what's the highlight of parenting your child? There are milestones. I mean, I could say that a highlight was... When they did choose to go to school, some of my children went to school in seventh grade for the first time, and some of them went in like fifth or sixth grade for the first time. Some homeschool families start in school and then have a bad experience and pull out, but we philosophically started at home. And then when they wanted to go, when they were ready, they were always allowed to go. Maybe a highlight is seeing that when they went into the real school system, that they were so confident in themselves and they were happy in their own skin and they hadn't compared themselves to other kids. And they knew that they had strengths and they knew that they had weaknesses and they had a strong basis in Jewish philosophy and Jewish knowledge and exposure to lots of different things. And they were just happy, happy people in a school environment. And I think that that's a highlight, seeing that a child is a holistically happy person and happy about things that are educational, happy about increasing their knowledge about the world. I 100% agree. And I, I just am picking up on something you mentioned too, with the first question, just that we are really creating Jew, yeah, they're Jewish children, but we're building them so that they'll be Jewish adults and to have a strong connection with God, with learning and being Jewish. There's just something I feel like about the home that can really um, help contribute to that. And then also in the in the classroom and with the right educator can really connect with their student and inspire them to want to improve in their Yiddishkeit and, and grow in their learning. Has that been something also that you've experienced on the classroom side? Yes, a lot of successful Jewish education is about the person who is the educator. There is a famous quote, I don't know where it's from, but you know, no one cares how much you know unless they know how much you care. And I think that that really sums up what a Jewish educator needs to be all about. Obviously you need to have content and you need to have answers to questions and you need to know the subject matter that you're teaching in a way that's appropriate for the level of students that you have. But, you know, we're not just teaching a subject. It's not math. It's not history. It's Jewish life. You're teaching, you're, you're teaching a Jew to be a Jew. So they have to know that you care about them. And they have to know that you yourself care about your Jewishness and how important it is. And kids are smart. Kids know when you care. Kids know when you don't care. They respond. My experience is that kids respond beautifully when they have a sincere teacher who cares about them and is not just worried about finishing a curriculum or getting the test in on time or how many words they know or, you know, the details that sometimes get lost in the more old-fashioned traditional Jewish education system. For sure. 
Speaking of educators, are there any educators that have inspired you or whom you particularly admire? When you're being taught by an amazing educator, sometimes you don't really realize it as a student until like afterwards and you look back and you say like, wow, I I can't believe I was in that class and I I was with that person. I learned from that person one-on-one. So I think that's sort of like what happened to me. Um, I was blessed to have experienced being a student of some of the most amazing uh, educators of this generation who really changed the face of how a lot of Jewish education has developed in the past few years. And my first person would be Rabbi David Eliach from Yeshiva Flappish High School, where I studied for my high school years. And he is known as the educator's educator. He innovated Torah and Flemish methodology uh, just as far as teaching the skills, the language skills, the Torah, also lessons that are always brought back to the student's life. It was never a lesson that was just for its own sake. It was something that is important in this for me. And the teachers that he gave us to teach in the classroom had been trained by him in this methodology. And later as an educator, I took courses from him in how to be an educator myself and his experiences and the experiences that he gave me were very formative in my early years. After that, I also was honored to be a student of Rabbi Chaim Bravender in Israel. He also is a creative innovator of Jewish education. He started off creating programs for women, for adult women when there weren't any, including Talmud. He branched off to teach around the world, including Jewish education in Russia in the early years when there really wasn't any. He has Web Yeshiva now, which was one of the first programs to offer online asynchronous learning of Torah before Zoom and before everything else, just really out there and being creative and moving ahead to the next new Jewish thing. And I think I sort of model myself after that as well. And lastly, I was honored to sit in classes taught by Nechama Leibowitz, Allah HaShalom, the great Jewish educator and Parshanit of the Torah. And she taught us how to teach. And that was just the biggest honor to sit around her table and hear her guide us of how to teach Torah. So I think those three really motivated me to think out of the box and to be creative and to realize that every lesson needs to be connected to the student's life as a Jew. Wow. I am reading currently a book about Nechama Leibowitz, and it's by Yael Unterman. I am blown away by what she was able to accomplish and how she really took the Torah and and how she was able to learn from it and use it, but use life experience and different things. And she really modeled where we learn from, from anyone, right? Where we are able to learn from others and not just, uh, we are the teacher, but we learn from our students too. Exactly. And the Gilead notes, right. That she would send out. It's, it's so amazing. I was there where we went to her apartment. She had this one little one bedroom apartment and we wanted to get the Gilio notes. So she would say, come to my apartment. And then she would just have like these files and files on her walls, like floor to ceiling bookcases. And she'd like pull out like 
these old papers, like mimeographs, kind of old kind of papers and give them to you. And people used to write to her. But yeah, it's, a, it's this whole something very, very, again, when I was there in the classes, I knew it was special. She was already famous and she was already very, very old. But only when I really came into myself as an educator, did I look back and see how that had uh, affected me. Yeah, and Yael Unterman, I know her as well. She was, uh, we studied in Israel also together. She's amazing. I love how God works too. You know, you read something, you hear something, and then you talk to someone else and there's connections there. You always, uh, we're so interconnected. It's really amazing. That must have been so special. I mean, to meet her and to just kind of see her in action. Yes, very. You work with many different ages. How do you talk about God and how might this differ with the various age groups that you work with? Okay, that's a great question. So I I do work with and have worked with many different ages, starting with little preschoolers. I once ran a Jewish camp for little kids, so the camp should be educational too. So that was an educational project. And I go up to adults and all kinds of levels in between. You can't teach Judaism without teaching about God, but it's important to teach about God in a developmental way appropriate to the questions that the child has at that moment. You know, just sort of like if you're teaching about the birds and the bees, you have to listen to what they're asking and give them the right kind of answer. Not too much, not too little, you know, you want to be, and you also want to be honest. I think that giving children an honest answer that's developmentally appropriate, not something that they have to unlearn later, is really important. So I think on a, on a very young level, young students, it's very important for them to know that there is a Hashem and that Hashem is not a person. And just that in itself is developmentally very difficult to understand because everything is a thing when you're little. Everything's concrete. So as they develop some abstractness uh, in their thought, they can maybe understand that Hashem is not a person. But even if they can't, cannot understand it yet, they could just know that word, that phrase. God is not a person. And if they can't understand it, we can also say, I think it's fine. I always say to kids, well, this is really hard to understand, right? It's, even for me, it's hard to understand. Because, like, what do you mean? How could God not be a person? And what does that mean? And you know, that's okay. It's okay to be confused about God, but you need to know that God is not a person. I say to God, for little kids, I'll say, you know, Hashem is a power. I need them to have an abstract word. I don't want them to have an image of an old man or of a a beam of light. I don't want them to have any image in their mind when I, and I test to see that they understand because I don't want them to think that God has eyes although God can see. Again, little kids can't understand that, but I want them to know there's no eyeballs. Like, you know, little kids can understand that. So I start with very concrete. As they get older and they become more abstract, you know, we need to follow in with more deeper discussions of how do we know if there is a God, the difference between believing in God, proof of God, leap of faith. What if you can't prove something? Once a child understands how scientific hypotheses work, that there's something called a guess and we prove, but we haven't proved they're 100%, different percentages. I think that those type of ways of approaching what God is and how we connect to God with a, what we call emunah or belief, you know, becomes more appropriate towards like an older elementary, middle school and, and then onward. You know, you mentioned about the guy with the long beard and, it seems to me, don't, don't you think that that's a bit of an influence of Christianity? 
I'm really happy you mentioned that. And I'm impressed that you mentioned that as well, because there is, it seems to me, there's a lot of uh, the Christian culture has infiltrated into our Jewish life and into our Jewish education system. And, and we see that all together in many aspects of our Jewish practice and in many customs that you see around nowadays. Uh, if you go back into certain, where did this come from? Why do we do this? A lot of things we do are not necessarily of Jewish roots, but that's a whole different podcast. But unfortunately, what I've found is that lots of traditional old-fashioned Jewish education feeds students, feeds little kids, especially these like stories and images that are very vibrant. They want to give them pictures. They want to give them something that's like very Disney-like that they can see and imagine and love. But I don't think that's really the Jewish way. I think the Jewish way is a little more abstract and we need to sort of stay away from that because oftentimes kids get older and if they don't have an educator undo and replace what they learned, which is more of like a childish kind of education, if it's not replaced with a more mature education, then what happens is they're left with that childish education in Judaism or Jewish philosophy or with regard to belief in God, but yet their own brain becomes smarter and that could be dangerous because then they could pull away from Judaism and view Judaism as infantile or not as sophisticated as all the other secular things that their brain is learning to analyze. I think it is something we have to be careful about. Right. It seems like it definitely causes more harm than good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found that also. And that happens in preschool. I mean, now you're getting me in my homeschool education mode a little bit, but my kids did go to two or three or preschool a couple hours just to socialize and give me a little break and have them make some friends. And yeah, it was a little bit challenging because sometimes the teachers would teach them things that I felt were not appropriate. For instance, uh, the famous one, which sort of solidified our homeschool decision was when my child came, my, my very right four-year-old came home in May and asked me if mountains talk. And I said, hmm, do you think mountains talk? And he responded, no, mommy, I, I don't think mountains talk, but like the mower said, the mountains talked. And right away I knew that the teacher had told them the midrash of the different mountains talking to right. each other. Now. You know, and yet my kid is trying to figure out what goes on in the world and his brain is learning about not science and nature on a four-year-old level. And, you know, and this was one of the first challenges where I realized this dilemma that I'm having with my son, this experience is going on with many, many students in many, many different scenarios on many, many levels. And my son was blessed to have me respond in a way that made sense. And I explained to him, you know, that, no, I don't think mountains talk either. And the mower probably didn't mean that they were actually talking. And then I had to explain to him sort of what a moral of the story is. And we used an example of the boy who cried wolf or some other tale that he knew that obviously that's not a real story, right. but you learn something from it. So I said, and that was my simple way of explaining what is midrash to a three, almost four-year-old, but um, not everyone has that experience. And some kids could be just left thinking like, oh, well, this is silly. I can see how that's challenging because then, you know, we have all these midrashim and a lot of them are very colorful. And so as educators, we do tend to want to share them or, or 
we think maybe it will help better help our students to pick up the Parsha or whatever it is we're trying to teach. And so I'm wondering, as educators, how do we help our students build a strong Torah foundation and, and include those kinds of works without causing confusion? There are different approaches towards this. So, you know, and, and like in many fields, there are many different approaches. Uh, when we were choosing a high school for my daughter, for instance, there were two very excellent choices. And one principal told me very clearly they believe in heterogeneous classes. They don't want anyone labeled, no honor class, no lower class. Every class has to have lots of different levels all in it. And the teachers differentiate within the classroom. And the other school said, no, we don't believe in that homogeneous classes. That's how real life is. You're good at one thing. You're not so good at something else. They have to learn about it. They're not going to label each other. And if they do that, they have to figure out, you know, that you're good at this and you're not so good at that. That's fine. And that way each class is taught specifically to the level. You know, so, and both are valid, valid educational approaches. So with regards to Midrash, there are various approaches towards that. Little Midrash says there's a very famous books that lots of people are using to teach their kids, introducing Chumash and Torah and Midrash all mixed in together. And they're coming out with a good feeling and they're learning a lot of things about it. And it's a common use also in preschools and regular schools to intermingle the two. My personal approach is not to do that and to teach more of a shot, the verse only, the Torah only at young ages. And then once the child can understand what the moral of a story is, to add in all those more colorful midrashim. The midrashim are definitely memorable because that's why I remember them. Oh, there's so many stories and they're so great. But I think that they have to come in at a time when a child can realize what a midrash is separated from the text, know that some of the midrashim might be literal. They might actually have happened like that. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it's just there to teach us a really important message. Right. But I think that that's the level. And with our, with my children, that's when I brought it in. And when I'm in a classroom, that's how I teach as well. And I found that there is no lack of colorful excitement in the actual Torah, even if you don't add Midrash. Like, imagine that. Hashem's actual Torah is interesting enough that you don't need Midrash. And you can actually just teach Torah to kids, the Parsha from the Torah. And there's so much there. And it's interesting and it's colorful too. You know, do we need more glitz and more excitement that the Midrash in that our little kids are not going to be interested in just the Parsha? If it's, you know, that depends on who's teaching it and how it goes about. But, you know, I think that it's important that all students, nonetheless, when they reach a higher level thinking in early middle school or bar and bat mitzvah level, no matter what approach they've had until then, their Torah studies be taught with critical analysis, that they be in, in an open environment for questioning, that any latent doubts or questions about some of the things they've learned before are given an opportunity to come out in a safe environment for questioning and for learning more. That, I think, is crucial to the success. I'm wondering, since you mentioned even just within the Torah, there's lots of color and there's excitement and there's ways to share Torah to make it relevant to really from the young age and all the way up. Do you think it's a good approach to, you know, go through the Parsha with reading some of the Hebrew to them and going through and translating kind of what some of the words mean with them? Or do you think it's better to do more of like a summary of what happens in the Parsha? 
Well, it would depend, you know, how old your kids are and what, again, what their learning style is with regard to Hebrew and how fluent they are. I think that anything that's going to feel stressful for the child should be not done. <laughs> uh, so if learning Parsha is stressful because now they have to read and they're not good at reading yet, then I would stay away from that. I think that in the early years, and your kids are pretty young also still, that um, summarizing the Parsha, and there are several books, not too many, that have English summaries just of the shot with the Midrashim in a separate section, actually. And those are the ones that I use with my uh, children. And those are the ones I recommend on Facebook when people ask about these things. Um, so I would say that summarizing the Parsha is really important. I would say that it's important to use Hebrew phrases while you tell them the Parsha. So you could say, Eliezer went to the Be'er. You know, don't say well. Maybe say well and then say Be'er and then continue to say Be'er. So integrate important Torah words or phrases while you're telling the story so the kids sort of learn it in a natural way and it becomes familiar to their to their ears and to their mouths. For a little bit older students, I would say if you're doing like a Parsha kind of thing, to pick one or two key psukim in each Parsha and then work on the skill from those, you know, as those, that, those the one most important one about each Parsha. Um, that's something that I've been formulating in my own curriculum building with regard to Navi, that in my homeschool Zoom classes, I am putting together Zoom classes where I'm teaching the Bikiot, the basic story of Yoshua, Shoftim, Shmuel, Aleph, and Shmuel Bet. Maybe I'll get into Malachim. So we do the story in English. We summarize it in English. We discuss it. We have videos. We, I have lots of games about it as well. But I also pick the key phrases in Hebrew from each parak, two or three sentences that the kids have to know to be able to recognize because we need to stay with our Hebrew. We need to stay in the original sources. But when kids are younger, I'm talking about kids who are much younger, they should not be bound down like, oh, I can't get through this whole parak. It should be, okay, here's three or four names who came about the parak. Now you know the basic stuff about it and let's move on. I think that's a great idea because I have found, and you could state what you think also, that just with the way the school day is set up, you have to get in a certain amount of secular studies and Judaics. And, you know, it's very hard to really dive into the rest of Tanakh. Really don't dive into them as deeply as maybe we could. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely Navi gets the, the short end of the time in a Jewish education school environment. Again, schools are so pressed for time and they have so much to do and they have to classroom manage and they have a lot of kids in the class and a lot of moving around. So they, they really have to be careful how they use their time. And, and unfortunately, if your kid has resource room for English or math or something like that, it gets pulled out for a set, they're probably going to get pulled out during Navi. Because like that's viewed as like, oh, like it's not so important. They could get pulled out for it. So you can have a kid who's, I've seen kids who like for three years didn't even hear any, and didn't even hear the stories of it because that's when they go out for their math resource room because they can't miss so many other things. It's hard to figure out. I think that using our time efficiently in the classroom and maybe reevaluating how much we need to learn or how much we need to teach the students content-wise versus skill-wise versus what's important for their personal growth as a Jew. 
I think that I've seen lots of schools starting to evolve differently, that they're finishing less content, but getting more quality. And it takes uh, a brave leader of a school to make that type of global educational decision because, you know, if your students are graduating eighth grade and they didn't learn certain things yet, and the other schools all did, and then the high school is like, well, how come your kid didn't learn on Midbar at all? So right. that educator needs to be able to validate, well, my students who came to my school didn't learn by Midbar because we were doing it slower or we only did certain things. I mean, not that people shouldn't learn by Midbar. There is a certain amount of things that everyone should learn, but evaluating how to use our time best so that the students get content, they get the keyword, they get general knowledge, they also get skills, and they're also happy the whole time they're doing it. It's such a balance to just figure that out. Wow. So education or chinuch in Hebrew, it can be a little bit of an amorphous term. How would you define it? Like I mentioned in the beginning, education is parenting or parenting is education. I I view the the two so as other flip sides of a coin. I think Jewish education, it's a learning process and education needs to combine intellectual, emotional, experiential, Jewish learning experiences. And again, keeping in mind, the ultimate goal is to create a proud, connected Jewish person, Jewish adult one day, who will then be able to live a Jewishly involved life and contribute to their community. That is the ultimate goal. I think it's very important to step out and look at the bigger focus of education. What is the purpose of education, of Jewish education? And then only with that big goal in mind, can we then focus in on how to use the time that we have with our students best. Definitely. What have you found to be your biggest challenge that you faced as an educator? And this could be in the classroom. It could be with your children different stages of my teaching journey have posed different challenges. One of the challenges is if you get a student who has already had a negative or uninspiring Jewish educational experience beforehand, and they're already closed off, and they're already, oh, this is stupid, or oh, I I don't want to do this, or I'm being forced to do this. That's a big challenge out there when you have a student like that, and how do we include that student And how do we turn them around? And that needs to be customized because we need to know why. Why is this student in this not such a good place right now? That's a very big challenge. Another challenge I found is that when we teach in a classroom environment and we're teaching to the bell curve of this classroom, I find that sometimes there's not enough enrichment for the kids who learn quicker or who have a stronger background. And then they can get bored. And I think that that's something that needs to be a little more on everyone's radar. I think we also need the opposite end, the support system for students that have support services or have IEPs in their English studies. You know, there's no such thing as an IEP in Lima de Kodesh. It's only in the English studies that we see here in New York. What's happening to those kids? Are we caring about them? And do we have enough support in our school system to be able to give those kids the accommodations that they need? Again, to the same goal of them being a happy, connected 
Jewish young man or woman one day. And I think that that also is in the formation. But all of these problems, I think, are currently being dealt with. And they are the seeds of new programs and new ideas are starting in some schools. Uh, revolutions and change in Jewish education come slowly. It happens slowly in few schools and then takes a bunch of years till it spreads out to the schools that are more traditional and are less open to change. But I think eventually it gets there. I also think that we need to aim to have smaller groups of students when we are teaching about Torah and about Judaism. And I think that the reason why we don't have smaller classes is because we don't have enough good educators. And part of the reason we don't have enough good educators is because educators, Jewish educators, both the Rebbe's and the Moras, they really don't get paid enough. And when a great young adult is considering their career choices, oftentimes a potential great Jewish educator chooses not to be an educator because they're nervous that if they become a Jewish educator, they won't be able to make enough money to pay for their own kids to go to yeshiva. For sure. And, um, and I think that this is a community-wide issue. And I look forward to the time when this will slowly evolve. The smartest, greatest young men and women are going to choose to be Jewish educators because they're not going to be worried about not having enough money to raise their own families. And I think once that slowly evolves, we will get better teachers and more teachers, and then we'll be able to have smaller classes and a lot of things will fall into place. Yeah, I hope so too. And maybe before Mashiach comes, that would be great. Put the podcast out, it'll be out there. People will start talking about it and then it'll start. Yeah, exactly. So how do you stay motivated? That's a good thing. Burnout is a very significant part of of a Jewish educator who is a good Jewish educator because you put your all into it and the downside is you will get burnout. So I think that important of being motivated stems from being aware of where you are at as an educator. Are you feeling energetic? Are you feeling enthused? Are you feeling creative? Are you feeling supported by your peers? Or are you starting to feel burnout? And when you have a self-awareness of yourself and where you're at, you can prevent getting to a place of burnout by changing things around so that you can always stay motivated. Uh, that's, that's what I do. I, I keep a good radar on how I am feeling about what I'm doing. And if something that I'm doing is starting to feel not exciting or starting to feel like it's going nowhere, then I just don't stay with it. And I pivot into something more creative or different that will then spark me again to be my best educator that I could be. I think you're right in that. As educators, we really, especially good educators, you know, who really want to connect with their students and really try and get their students to own their education and not be just teacher focused, but really student focused. It is common for educators to get burned out. Um, On the other hand, it's so motivating when you, you see your students and you see how they're growing and when they really connect to their Judaism and their Jewish identity. For new educators, when you get towards burnout, that means you're doing a great job. And what I would suggest is that you just need to step back and also take care of yourself. You need to make sure that you are also learning, that you are growing. I mean, everyone should be growing in their Judaism, no matter where they're at. 
uh, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. So make sure that you're going to a shear or you're, like, you're getting a good book to read that's on your level to learn. Make sure you're taking care of your body. Make sure you're exercising. Make sure you're taking care of your, your personal, emotional, social, your family, your spouse, if you have one. You know, you have to make yourself into a strong person so that you can't just ignore yourself. You have to give, but you have to also make sure you're giving yourself as well. I totally agree. What do you think successful Jewish education will look like in the future? I think that in the future, we will have smaller classes. We will have more inclusive Jewish education. And I mean inclusive to enrichment, inclusive to um, special ed support, inclusive to the different backgrounds that the kids are coming from. I, I just really think we need to make a place where everyone is getting the right Jewish education for them. And we can do that when we have smaller groups, better teachers, and you know, administrators and whole curriculums that are evolved to focus, to be a little more careful about how to use their time. What exactly should we teach? and to stimulate the children to see that these are all part of being a Jewish person, of of expressing Jewish values. And I see that schools are starting to do that now. There are many focus groups. There are many educational groups that that are starting to work on this. But I do see that we are in a new era for Jewish education. It definitely has started, and it is being formed, and it's very exciting. I think also Jewish education, like you said before, it does start in the home and the pandemic and the amount of people homeschooling just in general now, of which Jewish education is part of their education, is also changing the landscape of what a Jewishly educated child looks like. And I think the use of technology is really important in the future of Jewish education. Technology, it's not just the smart word for math or science or English, like We need to use all the technology that we have to teach Torah as well. That is the language that the students are familiar with. It's very efficient, time efficient to use technology, to get the kids to review, to get them excited. And I think, you know, if we could look ahead and then look behind, there's there's going to be great things happening in Jewish education. It's just going to take little baby steps to get there. I agree. Things happen in small increments, right? Especially if it's something for the good. So there's definitely hope. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? It's so exciting. And that's why when Zoom started and so many people started pulling out of schools and I'm like, wow, okay, this is my time. Like I'm going to consult. I'm going to help people. And I always consult and do things on Facebook anyway. You know, like people ask advice. And I have, and I, we also used to have these homeschooling conferences um, there's a couple of great homeschoolers, Yal Aldra. I don't know if you know uh, she is. Oh, yes. Yes. So uh, she and a couple of other people uh, used to organize these homeschool conferences, Eastern Seaboard here, and then it became on Zoom. And, you know, over the past couple of conferences, I've either been part of the organizing committee and I've written some articles and I've spoken, you know, like the, and everyone has their specialty. Like my one, one, one close friend, she's an unschooler. So she speaks about like unschooling and I speak about teaching multiple ages at one time. And I have, I speak about Midrash and Humash because that's really my main thing. I would speak about 
about that and fancy, you know, all different types of nuances of the different ways people choose to teach their children in the home with Jewish education. So, yeah, so now I just, uh, I put myself out there. If anyone wants, I'll talk to them. You know, I talk to everybody for free for one time. And <laughs> some people want, no, like, I mean, I talk to anyone anyway, but my husband's like, you know, you, you could charge money and you talk to people. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, that's called a consultant. So, like, I basically put out that, you know, I'll talk to anyone for free once. And then if they want me to be there guiding them, like, through the year, help them figure out what to do next, I would be like a consulting kind of fee if I the right. whole mom could help figuring it out. It's very overwhelming because there's really, I find there's too much information out there. It's just too much. You know, you there's just want to know, what do you suggest I use for my kid? You could spend five hours researching. But Facebook does a lot of good crowdsourcing and people give a lot of good information. So that's like a good way to get it. But yeah. also my Zoom classes are really nice now. I'm, I'm just like loving them. Sometimes I'll come home and I'll be like, oh, it's great great class this kid asked this great question I have this one zoom well not a zoom student she was a regular student and one student I've been teaching for six years and she's going to UCLA next year wow all her Jewish studies for six years and like it's just so amazing to go from a bat mitzvah to college and to be prepared as a Jew you know for sure exciting Maura Marie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me tonight and be interviewed and share your story and your experience and I've really learned a lot from you. It's my pleasure to be here and to speak about these topics with you. Education is very exciting and parenting is exciting and small Jewish people potentially growing into adults of the next generation of Jewish people who are going to make the world a great place through their Jewish values and through the knowledge of Torah. I mean, there can't be anything better to be involved with. I agree 100%. To support our podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Jewish Education Experience Podcast.